All right, uh, unlucky number 13, Snowshoe just ended. Lots of interesting thoughts on that. And, man, that was some good racing. And a little bit of gear news. Nothing new has really been uh, coming out quite yet. And a couple interesting tidbits about Rebecca Henderson and Koretsky and stuff like that. Let's go. This is Short Travel Magazine. Short Travel Magazine. Interesting tidbits. Curated just for you. All right. Not much here for tidbits this week. One thing I noticed, I was listening to the coverage uh, on GCN of the Snowshoe uh, World Cup. And Rebecca Henderson came up. Everybody knows her. She used to be called Rebecca McConnell there for a while. Uh, maiden name back to Henderson this year. And they mentioned that she was a graduate of Harvard here in the States. So I thought, huh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. So I Googled it, and there is zero mention whatsoever of her ever attending college in the United States. Now, there is a re couple Rebecca Hendersons who are in other uh, fields and from America, and they've got all kinds of different Ivy League credentials, but not her. So I don't know if they just goofed that up uh, on GCN. Exactly what's going on, I'm not sure. She went to school and attended uh, college in Australia, as you would probably imagine. And that's all that's listed. But um, I find that interesting. So maybe they're wrong. Somebody, if anybody knows, I'd love to find out. Uh, just kind of got me digging into some of her history. I mean, I've been, obviously, she's been on the scene for years. But I didn't realize that she was a second overall at the under 23 back in uh, 2012, so 11 years ago. A lot of these, you know, back in the day, if you will, nobody really talked about the under 23 riders very much. You didn't really hear about them uh, until they got to the elites, and then you'd, they'd say, hey, XYZ uh, was, you know, won six World Cups in the under 23, and you'd go, oh, boy, that's that's pretty good. They should be really good then in the elites. And then, of course, more often than not, they'd be back in 20 and 30th spot for a couple of years before they'd work their way to the front. It's not quite like now where you hear about these racers, even as a junior, how they're doing, which is good. I mean, I always thought the under 23 should get way, way more coverage um, because there's some great racing and these men and young women are definitely talented i mean well just look at look at you know mona mitterwalner look at uh, all the the kind of up-and-comers uh that are in the elites now i mean most of them all had incredibly successful under 23 runs so of course yolanda neff you know did great at under 23 if i remember i don't remember what what she won off the top of my head but i know she was very successful so that's kind of cool um probably should follow up on Rebecca Henderson a little more because she's had some interesting results uh, over the last couple of years, kind of up and down, but 
still it's clear the talent is there so I'll, I'll, I'll make that uh, something to look into uh, the other tidbit I notice and this could be more under the gear category it probably is under the but I'll throw it here anyway uh, Koretsky Victor Koretsky had the uh, flight attendant on his epic Evo bike and in the rear shock he had a big piece of black looks like gaffer tape uh, physically holding the battery on to the unit so I've never seen anybody with any of the access systems before I've never even seen them use the little plastic uh, clip thing that they started including on the GX it actually came on my X01 that I I just picked up another system for my fat bike uh, the the old access stuff I don't have the UDH on any of my bikes and it had the plastic uh, guard or holder I don't know what you call it but I've never seen anybody actually use one at the World Cup level but a piece of tape gaffer tape on there that should definitely hold it on he didn't have any on the fork now the fork of course as you notice holds the battery completely upside down and the amount of shaking and punishment that the fork would get I would think would be equal if not worse than the rear shock which is not exactly perpendicular to the ground but kind of sorta uh, so I'm that was kind of a curious thing I noticed but is that really a tidbit? I I guess that's more of a gear thing. Um, other than that, I just kind of did notice overall um, that people are starting to kind of go back to the regular forks. Maybe the flight attendant thing was a bit of a test run the last race or two where it seemed like everybody had it. Now we're just drifting right into the gear. Ah, oh, sorry about that. Let's move on. Changing gears. More new stuff we don't really need. All right, we really did end up in the gear category. Let's just do some changing gears. Um, like I said, the flight attendant experiment, first of all, they all looked completely production ready, all those bikes. Uh, the last race before Snowshoe, there was the vast majority of SRAM-sponsored riders seemed to have flight attendant on there. And I noticed many of the women this time more women than the men seem to not have that, and they kind of went back to the uh, regular uh, Sid forks. So, who knows? It's um, it's one of those things I initially got excited about because I always thought a wireless, you know, I'm not alone, obviously. The wireless um, release and implementation of a lockout would be really cool to have. Of course, it'd have to be built in to the products they couldn't just or maybe they can bolt it on to the existing forks but uh, I guess maybe it's still in the experimental phase I I saw it referenced that uh, Yolanda went through a a bike check on her Instagram and she named every every part on her bike and she did not call the fork you know black box flight attendant like they used to call things when they were experimental or prototypes it just said 2024 RockShox Sid Ultimate Flight Attendant something or other. So apparently it's a 2024 product. I thought it might be a 2025 uh, product. Now most of the 2024 stuff seems to have already been released. Uh, they seem to do that almost a year in advance now. But 
uh, be curious. I'd love to to be able to bolt something at least just for the fork. I uh, have just a simple some type of a, a upgrade package where you could release re, uh, replace the damper on them and gain that wireless lockout. That would be cool. Not going to happen. And at the price of bikes currently high end uh, SRAM transmission level bikes, they're already insane. And tacking on another two grand, which I'm sure they'll do for the privilege of flight attendant, probably not going to happen for me anytime in the next 10 years. So I guess we'll just forget about that for now. Uh, what else? Cannondale. Let's talk Cannondale. Their new paint job uh, got got some attention. It was pretty cool looking. It's you know just the colors of their their team at the moment, which are kind of a a greenish, a purple, and a blue uh, mixed with some black on their uh, outfits. And when I first saw it, hey, that's that's nice. Uh, you know, kind of made me reminisce about all the custom paint uh, that I used to drool over back in the '90s. And it got me thinking, hey, wait a minute here. That looks familiar. And then I remembered my 1991, my very first high-end mountain bike. I had a cheap uh, Raleigh, cheapish Raleigh mountain bike. Went into a bike shop, saw a Kurtlow, who was a big, still around, KurtlowCycles.com. Uh, Kurtlow.com, actually, I believe, is the domain. He, uh, he had a builder. Uh, he was a builder, and he had a, a custom paint guy, California, who would do these handmade crazy, I mean, paint jobs. And Doug at Kurtlow told me he would not give this guy any direction at all. He'd say, just come up with something. And he had spider webs. And anyway, the, the version I have, the one that I fell in love with, is in fact a black, kind of a sparkly black frame originally. And the guy used, and I'm not exaggerating, the exact same three shades of green, purple, and blue. And just kind of dabbed paintbrushes all over the thing. If I could show you here on the podcast, I would. Uh, maybe I'll put a picture of it. It's beautiful. It's always been my favorite mountain bike. Uh, I used to show up at races, and the first thing everybody would say is, Wow, that's that's beautiful. Where did you get that done? It's a guy named Shades. Uh, was what he used to paint on his frames. He did a lot of uh, that type of stuff. So no wonder I fell in love with it. It actually is a 1991. I mean, the, the shade of green, the shade of purple, and the shade of blue is visually almost exact, which is kind of crazy. So that's kind of cool. Would I, would I buy one? No, not just because of that. But boy, if they released them, I bet they, I don't know, sell some of them at least because it sure looks more interesting than your solid fade black to green or solid black which you know i i'm all for solid black i have only black bikes but man custom paint was so cool maybe i'll do a special segment on that because it was really special back in the old days and maybe we'll get back to that what else let's talk about uh you know, I see a lot of these bike checks. You see them on Pink Bike and Bike Rumors and Bike Radar. I love bike checks. At least I kind of used to. I'm starting to almost not clicking on these articles anymore because they've gotten so predictable and so boring. You see a uh, team sponsored by Shimano. What's it going to have? You could almost, you could almost, without even looking at the bike, name every component that's going to be on the bike. Same with 
with uh, SRAM. If you see a SRAM bike, you know exactly what's going to be on it. They all have the exact same everything. I will give Koretsky credit. He's not using a traditional controller at all for his uh, shifting. He's got the little blip buttons only, which is kind of weird. I mean, they're so tiny. Um, but obviously, he's, he likes them. And I could see how having more options than just the traditional giant pod that hangs off the bars. I hate the new pods. I don't like how they look. I don't like that you can't rotate them in all 360 degrees. I, there's many th I had one. I immediately returned it after a week. Just could not get it in a position that I like. So, of course, the only downside to using those little blips is... The way it is now, you have to have a $500 blip box wired or zip-tied or hidden somewhere on your bike. You actually have to run two wires to these things, which to me kind of defeats the whole purpose. But obviously this is all changing within the next couple of years. That could very well be uh, a simpler procedure. So that's about it. About the only thing I notice that you see different between bikes is these stems. And some of the people are using those all-in-one stem bar combos which I'm not a fan of that doesn't make any sense to me especially selling them to the consumers you're going to sell a bike to a consumer with just guessing how that person may want the uh the bar width the bar uh bends the 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 stem height the stem extension I don't know I much prefer it makes more sense to me to do now if you want to be Nino and have a custom bars made just to your exact drop and width and all that stuff, that's cool. I mean, you maybe knock a couple grams off of your bike, but for the general public to not be able to do anything except raise and lower, and of course you're at the mercy of the manufacturer putting the right amount of spaces under that stem. If, if they're leaving more than 20 millimeter, you'd be lucky. I don't know. You'll see the custom Deramo aluminum stems that are, you know, it's kind of cool. They're leaving them uh, polished silver. You, they really stand out. Uh, Anton Cooper, of course, has one. And who else did I just see? I forget who uh, had. Uh, I think it, I think it was Vlad Desculu on Trek. He also had one big giant silver uh, stem dropping the bars way, way down. But other than that, it's the most boring setups um, I mean, everybody's all sponsored up. Nobody can really go changing anything. I guess everybody just gets the same stuff. So it's almost like, uh, why even bother show showing these bikes anymore when they're just the most predictable things ever? I get it, but still kind of boring. What else? That's about it. There's some new, uh, the new Mondraker bike came out, which the prices are so absolutely insane. Uh, a few other new bikes came out with, you know, one of my $7,000 for the entry level bike and it had NX level components. NX, the cheapest, well, almost cheapest crap SRAM makes on a $7,000 bike. They could not, I think that was Mondraker actually, you could not spend, I mean, ugh, it's just, I don't know how if they can keep, I don't know how they're going to sell any bikes. I guess people are still buying the stuff or they wouldn't keep charging the money. The top at Mondraker, I believe it didn't even have a dropper post, was fourteen grand. That's retail. 
$14,000 American. And if you add tax on, how much is tax on $14,000? That's another couple thousand bucks, practically. You know, it's at least another thousand bucks. And you're talking 15 grand for a top-of-the-line racing bike nowadays without a dropper. You throw a, throw a you know, an axis reverb on there. Pedals, I'm sure that's no pedals. You're talking 16 grand. Okay, that's insane. You should not have to spend 16 grand on a carbon race bike. I don't care what kind of parts are on it. But that's just a rant for another day. Um, that's it. Let's get to some racing and then we should be done. Racing news and views. All right, lots and lots of good racing stuff. I'm kind of excited about the Gravel Worlds happening this weekend. Normally, I mean, I've never actually, I've done one gravel ride, casual local donut ride um, on my mountain bike, but I kind of enjoy following gravel racing because I feel like it's, you know, off-road, there's dirt involved, mud sometimes, and uh, a lot of the cross-country people at least in this country, seem to be gravitating just as much towards gravel as cross-country. I think we'll be losing more and more uh, dedicated cross-country racers to the Lifetime Series, which is a bummer. But what are you going to do? Uh, but, of course, Pauline Ferran Prevost gave up the last two World Cups. Kind of, kind of surprising. She must really be addicted to those World Champ jerseys enough to just go, eh, I'm just going to not bother flying over there and uh, go do a World Champs race. Now, she had COVID last week and skipped out on one of the uh, European gravel champs. She was sick. So who knows how she'll be this week. I'm not even sure if she's still going to be doing it. I haven't heard anything. haven't really looked into it. But for Americans, you know, we've got a couple cross-country people. we got Payson McAlvin, who used to be a cross-country Guy and a Keegan Swenson, Alexi Vermeulen. Uh, if you look at the list of 13 men and 10 women they're sending, it's, you know, pretty much our best, I would say. Uh, interesting, the elite women, there's 10, but Sophia Villafane, Villafane, I'm not sure how to say that. She's not on that list of 10. Not sure why think she most certainly would have qualified she's won everything with the lifetime series she's she's having probably one of the best years she's ever had she's not on the list of 10 uh, Emily Newsom Paige Onweller who's done some cross-country stuff Alexis Scarda so there's a fair amount of people who have done cross-country races heading over there but she said she's going all in she's gonna give it her all, and I don't know, her and Keegan would be the favorites here at almost, not almost, but any gravel race in this continent, so I'm extremely curious to see how these two do in Europe against the European pros. Now, here in America, they can beat anybody seem, seemingly on almost any race, but I'm curious how they're going to hang uh, over there in European soil against some of these true road pros who have, I would think would be even more ready for a gravel worlds. I don't know. Going to be great. 
Uh, I'm assuming I'm going to be able to watch that uh, on a replay on GCN. I didn't actually look to see if that's on there. World champs are sometimes weird that way. Um, but, of course, we have Snowshoe. Snowshoe was, I thought it was one of the most enjoyable, at least on the men's side, mountain bike races I've seen in a long time. Since since probably last year, Snowshoe. Uh, Snowshoe, I almost get the vibe some of the European races don't really care for it. Uh, they kind of make hints about how it's flat and yada, yada, yada. It didn't look flat to me. My my God, some of those hills kind of looked relentless. I mean, they weren't a mile long, but I don't know. It looked like some of those pros were kind of spinning up them. Uh, they weren't exactly flying up them at full speed ahead always. So it looked pretty hilly to me. But uh, to be able to, it might be an eye-opener for some course designers. Um, when they have these wide-open, fast double track downhill I mean it really made for great racing that these little groups of people of racers that would stay together five six of them and then another group of six and eight and then a few it kept that thing interesting all the way to the end and some of the racers back in the second third groups ended up at the front uh, like Nino for example he wasn't he wasn't exactly at the front of the group the whole race he, but he kind of worked his way through I don't even have to talk about Pidcock, what he was able to do with two tire changes, and they weren't exactly speedy tire changes. Uh, he ended up on the podium, fifth place, and he probably lost three minutes, you know, of actual time just by swapping tires. So, my opinion, he undoubtedly would have probably won that thing if it wasn't for those uh, those tire changes. But hats off to Saru. I mean, of course, Nino was right there at the end. I bet he really wanted to win that. I mean, that was just pure bad timing, I think. Um, you know, I'm no professional racer, but he was neck and neck with Saru after those those rocks. And just Saru took that one extra burst of speed right before that last turn and hadn't I wondered if, you know, Nino had done that first, even a split second earlier, and came around that turn. I bet there would have been a good chance Nino might have pulled that off. I'm sure he's not super, I mean, he looked bummed, of course, but second place when you're counting points. I mean, you're down to 89 points now for Nino's lead on the overall. Uh, that is not a lot when you have the short track and the XCO both uh, giving points out uh, on this weekend. So, man, Nino seems to have it. He only has to kind of, I, I saw a list of all the scenarios that he has to kind of keep up with to win it. You know, he has to beat somebody by 14 places and this guy by the, it's way too confusing. All he has to do is kind of stay at the front, you know, in the top three to five and I, in each of those races. And I believe there's no, Nobody that could beat him at this point. But weirder things have happened. All it takes is one flat, one crash, one this or one that. And he will be second or third. And this will be his ninth. His ninth overall World Cup title. That's yeah, pretty insane. Uh, if you win one or two, I think you're really doing good. Look at, look at Paul Inch. I don't think she's won any overalls. I mean, she... 
she seems to bail on at least a few races um, each year, and that's, of course, Vanderpool did the same thing. He won virtually everything one year and skipped half the races at the end, and Pidcock misses half the races, so hats off to Nino for being consistent. I will give him that. Uh, would that and he's going to race next year, of course, because of the Olympics. It'd be kind of cool if he won next year to go out 10 world champs, 10 overall World Cups. That'd be pretty insane. Uh, what else? The women's race uh, was good, of course. Um, Mona, I thought she was kind of on a roll. I don't think she was 100%, but uh, I don't have to say much for Puck. Of course, she clinched the overall. And she thinks she only ended up in sixth, and that was more than enough to win. That's pretty cool. Uh, Loanne, of course, had a great day in second on a hardtail. Looked really bumpy out there, and she looked like she was kind of getting bounced around. But I've always been in the belief of, I don't think your bike's going to hold you back. If you're, if you're that powerful and that strong, I don't think it really matters which bike you're riding personally. These aren't downhill races, so whatever. I would never do one on a hardtail again just because I'm old and hurt too much uh, after races on a full suspension bike, so so much for that. Uh, so it's going to be good. I can't wait to Friday. Friday will kind of set the tone. If Nino gets up there, maybe Saru ends up in third or something, you know, behind Nino. Then the gap grows a little bigger and... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't want to wish for horrible, crappy weather, but it does sound like Saturday and Sunday it's going to be much colder and wetter in Canada there than it is right now. So, I don't know. I love wetty mutt races. Muddy wet? Did I say that? Wetty mud? I don't know. Yolanda, of course, won last year. She kind of came out of nowhere and kicked butt. So, maybe she's got another one in her. It's going to be great. Uh, it's going to be great. So what else? Um, overall, Snowshoe, it did not look like there was very many people there. I dare say it. Uh, the, I was there in 2019, as I've already mentioned, and it went right through the downtown of like their little village there. And last year it did too. And that place was absolutely packed. It was five deep all along the entire fences, I, I could hardly even see them go by. And out in the main part behind the buildings where the entire race took place this year, start, finish, everything all happened in kind of the big open area behind the village. Uh, I just didn't see that many people there, you know, along the start, finish line, maybe a couple hundred, but I don't know, maybe just an illusion because everything was spread out. It did seem much more spread out and open. And in, now there were a lot of people in the woods in that one technical section. But I don't know. I'm, I'd like to know uh, how that kind of worked out this year with the attendance. There was seemingly less people. And maybe that's part of the reason why they're talking about uh, using different venues next year. Maybe even two different venues. But... One thing I, I remember quite clearly is how expensive it was to get tickets to go up to that actual race site. I had my wife and two uh, teenage daughters, and it was, if I remember correctly, right around 300 bucks. And I kind of lied about my daughter's age. I think she was one year over the 
kid uh, rate. So it would have been well over $300. That's just to walk into the venue, which I don't know. That seems, you know, I know everybody's got to make a buck, but man, that hurt after already driving halfway across the country and doing all the hotels. That was an expensive trip. It was worth it. I loved it. I got some great photos and I saw all my heroes literally within inches. You could just reach out and touch them if you were a weirdo. And it was great. But man, it, it, it has kept me away the last couple of years because um, of the expense of getting to a place like West Virginia Snowshoe that was so far off the beaten path that it, I mean, it was an hour to the nearest regular chain hotel. One solid hour drive from the nearest uh, Hampton Inn or that type of a hotel. So, eek. So, that's it. The series is over after this weekend. Um, the Gravel Champs is over. I guess it's pretty much, for me, it's going to become... Uh, I had my last race, cross-country race of the year this past Sunday. Eh, I did okay. I didn't do very... I didn't do very good. It was probably one of my worst... Uh, years uh, probably out of the last five or six as far as placing goes i just was not in shape this year to be pushing it so that's kind of a bummer so i got fat biking to look forward to starting next month i believe the november 11th oh not wait a minute i just remembered i did sign up for the Iceman cometh on november 4th that is technically a cross-country race i will be using my cross-country bike so okay i guess i'm not done i have one more I, how could I forget that? Uh, so I got in the waiting list and found out two weeks ago that I, I'm in, I paid, and I'm going to have to do it. Whether the weather's crap again like in year the year I did it in the past or not. And then it's fat bike. But for me, I guess I'm going to have to turn to cyclocross is getting going now. I really, really, really want to get up to the Trek factory. Um, not this week. I believe it's... Two weeks from now, I could be wrong. Let's see, fourth, fifth, sixth. Yeah, no, that's next weekend, not this weekend, the one after. The Trek uh, World Cup uh, cyclocross is going to be there, and uh, I know there's going to be quite a few cross-country people there who are already in this country. Certainly Trek has already said some of the, uh, I'm guessing Evie and maybe Yolanda will be there. I don't know if Gwen Gibson or like... I think, does Maddie Monroe do cross? I don't remember. Uh, so we'll see. I uh, used to go see Emily Batty up there. She seemed to always be there. So I'll be curious to see who uh, goes. People that are already in the North America for the uh, two World Cups. Maybe they zip over there. Either way, it's going to be fun. They have a heck of a great party up there. If anybody's ever thought about going to the truck factory for one of these events, it's pretty cool. There's a lot of celebrating and beer and food and screaming and I don't know. It's a good time and it's about two and a half hours away drive for me, so not terrible. So maybe I'll see somebody there. I'll have my short travel uh, hoodie and hat on. If anybody sees me, let me know. Say hi. Uh, that's about it for now for the racing. We'll wait until after Monsignor to make a final year-end uh, award ceremony. I've got a couple awards I'm working on. What the heck? Um, should be interesting. 
So good luck, everybody, and I guess I'll see you next week after the final World Cup. See you later. Thank you ever so much for listening to Short Travel Magazine. 